directions, and I have one direction, and sometimes the Lord has another. I was planning on preaching on uh, Galatians 2.20 this morning, but I just wanted to finish out this section here as we've been dealing with the area of discipleship. And uh, again, you know, it's more than just some program. You pull out a book, and you go through, and you learn about uh, what, why we... Uh, the, the assurance of salvation, why we pray and how you, how you pray and uh, fighting the spiritual battles of life and being a member of the church and all these things. Uh, it's more than that, but it's a culture. And again, Matthew 28 verse, uh, uh, yeah, 28, verse 18, where it says, Go ye therefore and make disciples. And who's he talking to? He's talking to his own disciples. And so uh, disciples are to make other disciples. And we see, saw that. Well, we will see it here in the future. But anyway... Matthew chapter 7, the serious nature of discipleship, uh, as we've been continuing on again, I've called this the manual of discipleship. We're going to look at verse 13. Verse 13. It says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way, that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in there thereat. But go straight is the gate, and there is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. But where are false prophets which come, in, in, come to you in sheep's clothing? But inwardly they are ravening wolves. You should know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And wherefore, by their fruits you should know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many more wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Let's jump down to, yeah, well, that's verse 24, okay, verse 24, next verse. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man which built his house upon a rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man. You notice, again, the wise man and the foolish man. The wise man and the foolish man. It comes right after the word therefore in verse 24 which means everything that came beforehand, you know, everything, chapter 5, chapter 6, everything's building upon that, the wise and the foolish that we have here. Uh, the foolish man which built his house upon the sand, the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, it beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it, and it came to pass that when Jesus had ended these things, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Let us pray, and then we'll get into the lesson for tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray uh, that you would just help me to get my wits about me as I prepare to teach Sunday school this morning. Lord, may you help us to, to be strong Christians, Christians who will found our lives upon the rock, as it's mentioned here. Lord, to hear your words, to do them, to follow in your will, to walk in your way, to uh, take Christianity seriously. Everywhere that we look, it seems like um, the world is just wants to be Christian in name only. And they have no idea what it means to be a Christian. And they have taken your words all out of context to twist it to their own meaning, whatever fits their lifestyle. Lord, we're in a mess in this world. And I pray that you would just help us to understand what it is to truly be 
a disciple. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Remember years ago uh, in Woodstock, Virginia, my hometown, uh, it's unbelievable because when you drive by there, you would never even recognize it from when I was a kid. It had all these small, small town um, feel to it, you know, all these small town stores, and it's just the mom and pop stores is what we call them. And uh, Ben Franklin and some of the other stores that nobody in this world has ever heard of, but they were good stores. I mean, we, uh, we, we went to these stores on a day-to-day basis, Larkin's Grocery and uh, still one of those stores that wrote IOUs and these kind of things. And I remember very specifically boycotting Walmart coming into town. And, of course, when we were younger, you had to go like an hour away either to Harrisonburg, Virginia, or to Winchester, Virginia, one of the others. They had the, they had the Walmarts, but not in our town. They were far away, and they said, we want to boycott Walmart because if we bring in Walmart, it's going to chase out all these small businesses, and sure enough, it did, because if you go there today, you, you, you would never see these small businesses that I recognized when I was smaller. There was this um, one guy, and uh, there was this big business that came into his town, and it, it was sort of like the situation I described to you in my hometown. They, this big business was coming in and chasing out all the small guys, and there was this one guy, he says, I'm not going to give in. I said, I don't care how much it hurts. He says, I want to stay there. And they built that big store right next to his small store. And they put on this great big, great big sign, this grand opening. He thought that they had to, we want to put this guy out of business once for all. Well, this guy had to, like a week to get a plan together. In all of his wisdom, he put a sign above his door. It says, main entrance, enter here. And everybody came into his store. And uh, sometimes you need wisdom in this world, right? Sometimes you need a little bit of wisdom to know how to uh, get around some things. But the the, the passage here is talking more about not so much this light bulb idea, say, wow, you know, just a a little bit of illumination to kind of beat the other guy. It's talking more than just brains. This is talking about some fortitude. This is talking about some wisdom. This is talking about taking discipleship seriously. Uh, reading about, uh, you know, you hear about the Bradley tanks, right? General Bradley. He, uh, he gave a speech one day at uh, Boston, Massachusetts, 1948. He was recalling the days back in World War I, and he was uh, giving this speech on Armistice Day. And he said, with the monstrous weapons man has already, already has, humanity is in danger of being trapped in this world by its moral adolescence. Our knowledge of science has clearly outstripped our capacity to control it. We have many men of science, but few men of God. We've grasped the mystery of the Adam and rejected the Sermon on the Mount. Man has stumbled blindly through a spiritual darkness while toy- toying with the secrets of life and death. The world has achieved brilliance without wisdom, power without conscience. Ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. We know more about war than we know about peace, more about killing than we know about living. And sure enough, it seems like that man... I don't know if he was saved or not. It seems like that man knew more about our day than what we know about it because he's described the day in which we live. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 23 says this, Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. And as I pointed out to you in verse 24, it's that word therefore. Therefore. And again, I pointed out to you early on when we were on the Sermon of the Mount, there's a lot of people that, you know, just... Uh, have a hard time just dividing the line between salvation and discipleship. It's two separate matters. And, you know, salvation is a free gift, but discipleship comes at a cost. And here he even points out, you know, of course, 
It's talking about righteousness and other things that are involved in that. But he points out, Jesus points out, he says, the wise guy and the foolish guy, and he's talking about wisdom and foolishness. That doesn't have anything to do with salvation because, well, I guess you do need wisdom, you know. Uh, but anyway, but this is, this is strictly pertaining to disciples is what he's dealing with. James says, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And even in James, James' half-brother Jesus recognized the need of wisdom in his day. And again, I've told you before that discipleship doesn't happen by accident. It's not that you wake up one day and uh, you, you've figured out how to defeat sin and uh, you, you're walking as this perfect angel. You have the halo over top of your head. You do everything just right. I've never met a Christian like that. And even the Apostle Paul himself, he says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who should deliver me from the body of this death? Even the Apostle Paul says, there are days that I struggle, you know, when, when I'm trying to reach my own countrymen and have a burden for my own countrymen, and they're out there trying to stone me and trying to kill me just for preaching the gospel. He says, I struggle in the flesh. Everybody does. So discipleship doesn't happen by accident. And the section that we started with this morning, beginning in verse 13, is where Jesus begins to conclude the Sermon of the Mount. He begins to bring everything to a close. He begins to deal with the practical nature of everything that we find here. Uh, and then the Sermon of the Mount, he's talking about the two ways, the straight way, the broad way. He's talking about the two trees, the corrupt tree and the tree that brings forth good fruit. He's talking about the two approaches, the, the ones who will come up and show up the door at Jesus and say, uh, let me in, let me in. And he says, I never knew you, as opposed to the other guys. They have this uh, entrance that are already in there. He talked about the two builders, the wise builder and the foolish builder. And you realize at the end of it all, Jesus is calling us to make a choice. I heard somebody the other day, he says, uh, you'll never find anything about a, a, an invitation in the Bible when it comes to the New Testament. Jesus just gave an invitation right here. And they, they frowned upon this idea of, of making a choice, but Jesus calls us to make a choice this morning. And we'll see it in these four different ways. The road you choose, the road you choose, the people you follow, the approach you take, and then the choice you make. And so we're going to look at the road you choose. Uh, this two-way theology we find here in the, in the New Testament is something that's common, especially even in the Old Testament. I believe it was Moses, as before he steps off the scene and he enters into eternity on the top of Mount Pisgah. He tells him, he says, now I'm going to set before you these witnesses of heaven and earth, life and death. And he calls them to choose life. In fact, these, these are his, his words. He says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. And I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and thy seed may live. And either way, there's one or two passes before you, but you've got to choose one of them. And God told him there in, in Deuteronomy chapter 30 through Moses, he says, I want you to choose life. Tells us over in Ezekiel chapter 18 that my, my soul doesn't desire for the wicked to perish. My, my desire is that they might turn and live. We find here Jesus kind of giving the, the same idea here. I, I want you to turn. I want you to enter the straight gate. I want you to enter into the narrow way. I want you to turn. I want you to live. I want you to walk in my ways. I want you to hear my words. I want you to, to follow my commandments. Not to say, well, I have this salvation and I got it all figured out. Lord, I don't need you anymore. That would cause me to kind of doubt whether they understood grace and whether they're truly saved in the first place. We see people all the time, and, you know, I, again, I ask you to pray for the West family. 
you see these people driving down the road, and it seems like they're not paying attention to where they're going. Jesus said, enter ye into the straight gate. You see these guys, and they're driving down the road, and I mean, they're swerving. Like, what are they doing? They're on a cell phone? They're just out looking in the side window, just not paying attention to what's in front of them. They're looking out the side. They're thinking about the house. They're thinking about the, uh, the garden. They're thinking about uh, the picket fence and the, the American dream and all these kind of things. They're looking out the side window, just of looking at the cows, looking at the deer, looking at what's out there on the side. Is it like when you get older in life and they're looking in the rearview mirror, not paying attention again, not what's going on? I mean, are they going to hit this semi-truck that's right in front of them and be destroyed because they're just paying attention to the good old days and behind them? Seems like there are a lot of people that's not paying attention. And, and Jesus said, at, there's something at the end of this road. Enter into this gate, pay attention, understand the path that you're taking. It's going to lead either to one or two destinations. There's going to be destruction. There's going to be destruction before you. Everything's going to crumble. Everything's going to fall apart. It's going to be like the children of Israel when they're coming in and God redeemed them. They put, let them go through the Red Sea. And they had a choice. The choice to either obey God, follow God by faith, and enter into the promised land. Or the choice that they actually made, which is to wander around in the wilderness, the destruction that made the wilderness their graveyard. See, they, they were destroyed by their choices to not believe God and frustrate God and so much so that God was ready to destroy them. And Moses interceded for them. God, you don't want to destroy these people. But we also recognize that there were two men that came through that promised land, Joshua and Caleb. And they entered in and, and they had those promises. This word, uh, straight gate here, it's an idea that Miss Kim would be familiar with. Uh, the Greek word stenos, it's like having a stent put in your heart. You know, you hear this happens all the time. You know, the artery is clogged and uh, it's just restricted, very narrow. The blood has a hard time flowing through. And so what they do is they open it up. They put a stent in there to try to allow that blood to get flowing again. It's that narrow blockage that is there. It just seems like you got you got to open it back up again. And there's this restrictive flow, and this is the idea here. It's narrow, it's restricted, it's a small place. It's pressing us to walk uphill in a single file line to try to get into this confined area. This is the idea that he has here. Um, this narrow here in the Greek uh, has the idea of pressing hard upon. It's where they, they had sought to destroy Jesus, and they pushed him over to the cliff, and, and, and they, it says the crowds thronged Jesus, and yet he was able to enter and to get through them somehow or another. That's the idea of, of, of the pushing, the, the, the pressing hard upon. Uh, in other words, it's placed in a narrow place where, the, where it's clogged in a clot uh, to improve the blood flow that's, that's there. And so there's, there's no room to take any baggage with you. There's no room. It's like Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler where it come unto him and he says, uh, what may I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus began to talk to him about the commandments, and he said, all these things have I kept from my youth up. Then Jesus said, I want you to go and sell all that you have, and come and follow me, and he went away, he wept bitterly. And then Jesus turns to his disciples, and he says, it's easier for a camel to enter into the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter in uh, and, and have life, is what Jesus told his disciples. They were all amazed. 
they said, what, what must we do to be saved? I mean, they, they, it really floored them. They, they didn't really understand. It said it was hard for them. Well, it's the same sort of re- restriction here when he talks about this, this area of discipleship that we have here. It's, it's not easy to follow Jesus. Remember when John chapter 6, where Jesus turns to his disciples and says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And many of them turned around and walked no more with him. So it's a hard saying. I mean, it just really took the, those who were following him by surprise. And uh, there was many such occasions like this where Jesus uh, had showed them the area of discipleship and they weren't willing to, to go any further. Jesus wants to impress upon us here is the difficulty and strenuous way of living for Jesus as opposed to the worldly lifestyle. And that's what we're seeing today. Everywhere you look, they, they want to have a part in the world and they want to have a part in the church and they're, they're lukewarm, they're not neither hot nor cold, they're standing somewhere in the middle, and Jesus doesn't like that. In fact, he told the Laodicean church, he says, I wish you were hot or cold, and you know, now that you're lukewarm, I want to spew you out of my mouth. Repent, is what he called them to. It takes commitment. If our days any indication of that day, I believe that Jesus knew that the people would rather walk with the multitude in ease than follow Jesus by faith. And I also believe that the straight gate narrow way is a way to holiness. A way to holiness. Remember when John the Baptist stepped foot on the scene and everybody was asking, he said, are you the Christ? <laughs> are you the Christ? He said, no, I'm just a voice. One crying out in the wilderness, make straight the, the way of the Lord. In fact, he says, Luke chapter 3, he says, And it came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. And you look at the ministry of John the Baptist, and he called men to repentance, and he says, show me, show me the works, the fruit, meat of the repentance. That's what he called them to, to live holy lives. I believe that um, many of us realize that holy living doesn't make you saved. Sometimes we, we look at a life, and, you know, I, 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 you got to be weary of this. Some people spend so much time just concentrating on life and say, well, I don't think that person's saved. I think so-and-so is saved. I think that person's saved. Well, we really don't know. That's between them and God. There ought to be fruit. There ought to be signs. There ought to show something that's there, this holiness in their lives, that which Jesus is calling us to is to this holiness. But the way that they're saved is did they believe on Jesus Christ? Do they believe his words? Do they believe what Jesus said? They are sinners. They're on their way to hell. Unless they believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ, they're not going to be saved. But if they call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved, is what the Bible tells us. So we got to be careful when we think about looking, you know, just trying to evaluate and doing what I said before, where the Pharisees were out there trying to pick and tear down. Oh, your hair is just a little too long and your, your shoes are not shined and you didn't show up to church on time and you're doing this wrong and you're doing that. That's legalism. Jesus, I don't have time for legalism. It's not about legalism. It's about salvation and service to God. Jesus used very strong language in Matthew chapter 18 when he says, Wherefore, if they, thy hand and thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It's better 
for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands and two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it's better to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Jesus is using hyperbole there, uh, an exaggeration. And I don't think you want to find it where uh, uh, you get to heaven, uh, you'll find people missing eyes and hands and feet. You know what I mean? Jesus said you want to have a new body. I don't think they're going to see people walking around. Oh, he only has one arm. I wonder what happened to him. It's not going to be like that. Colossians chapter 3, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. But it tells us in verse 3 of Colossians chapter 3, mortify your members which are upon the earth. That's the idea we have here. Mortify those members which are all those things that cause uh, uh, evil, you know, he uses these big words, concupiscence and lasciviousness and all these other words. Uh, we recognize as an evil way. It's not the holy way of living that the Lord would have us to live. Romans 6, 11, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's no such thing as a road that goes nowhere. You know, you're going somewhere, and, and there's a gate that Jesus is telling us to enter, a gate which is taking us on to a journey, uh, a gate that will bring us to a place of destruction, or a, place that, a gate that will lead us unto life, is what it says. The style of the gate would give us an idea of what lies beyond it. You know, everybody talks about Disneyland. I've never been there. Some of you guys might say, oh, wow, the castles and, and all these little make-believe creatures, and it's wonderful, and it's magical, and you'll see Mickey Mouse, and you'll see Donald Duck, and you'll see Goofy, and you'll see all these princesses, and it's just a little kid's dream. You know, it's just fairy tales. And we're trying to sell our kids some ideas that, that it's not a realistic life. But you get into this gate, and you say, oh, it's going to be magical, and then you come back out and say, wow, <laughs> Sins everywhere. Life is horrible sometimes when you see what's going on in the world today. The gate gives you an idea of what's, what's beyond it, the wide gate. The wide gate can accommodate anybody. You don't have to change anything about your life. You can just live any way that you want to. It doesn't call men to repentance. It doesn't uh, say you got to change the way. I mean, you can go in there any way that you want to. It doesn't make any real sacrifice. You don't have to change. You can live your way. You can make your own rules. It has no restrictions. It tolerates many. It's very attractive. But the narrow way, narrow way like what we find the disciples of Jesus living, they weren't doing uh, like what everybody else was doing. But I believe, man, they got to see some things, didn't they? They got to see Jesus heal. They got to hear the words of Jesus. They, they got to go up, three of them, onto the Mount of Transfiguration to see him transfigured before them, to see the Lord in all of his glory. But it's a blessed thing to be a disciple, no matter how hard it is. You know, sometimes they were away from home, and sometimes they were going out to the other, other villages, Mary and other places where they were going, trying to uh, tell people about Jesus before he would enter into those cities. But there's no room for chasing after the world. It has and chasing after the world and its pleasure. No room for unforgiving spirits. No room for self-righteousness. And it's only when we submit to the demands of the Son of God that we know what it means to enter. And we see that the people that you follow in verses 15 through 20 find it very interesting because there's so many people that's on the Internet, so many people that's on um, the television, so many people that's on the radio, and they have so many different voices, and people get so confused. You know, and they're following this guy, and then they realize, well, there's contradiction, 
contradictions to what they believed about this, and then they like, well, maybe I'll listen to this guy, and then this guy, and then this guy, and then this guy. Then they have no idea what the Bible says. Jesus says, you know, the disciples to be like his master. The fruit doesn't fall very far from the tree. You got to be careful who you're listening to. You want to you want to look like those guys, and what they're teaching and. Uh, the, the doctrine begins to develop some behavioral uh, conduct in which the persons want to live their lives and they want to do things and say things that are not right. Why? Because they're following some false guy that's telling them false gospel, false doctrine. And they'll buy into the lies. It's easy to do. Jesus would continually to warn his disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of the Sadducees and the leaven of the Herodians. We think that there were many, just many false teachers in our day. Well, it's never, we've never had so much false doctrine in our day. Oh, they had it back in that day, too. Everywhere you turn, everybody's going to have their opinions, right? Everybody has their opinions. The Epicureans, the Stoics, the vain philosophers, I mean, there were plenty of them out there. You read about Mars Hill where everyone went up and they're trying to learn about some new thing. We've got a lot of people in my generation that are out there trying to learn about some new thing. It looks like exactly what Paul was talking about when he looked out and they saw all these temples set up on the hill and they saw all this godliness going on and they're, they're, they're searching and they're looking for something and they're not finding it. And Paul says, I want to give you the gospel and I want to tell you who God is and, and, and that Jesus Christ is going to come back to this earth one day and he's going to judge this world in righteousness and make all things right. But it looks exactly like our day. It's scary. You cannot beware of something that you don't evaluate. Jesus has not talked about the difference between good apples and bad apples. He's talked about, you know, there's some things that just don't belong together. You, you don't find grapes next to the thistles. Grapes hang on the vine. You don't find figs hanging here. What's the word that he uses? Uh, let me find it here. Uh, figs hanging on verse thorns. All right, thorns. Maybe I got it backwards. But there's certain, only certain, you find figs on the fig tree. In other words, you tell his disciples, what are you doing? You know, you've received this good fruit. You've, you've received the Holy Spirit. I mean, you've been given all these things and and next thing you know, I see you over next to the thistles. The thistles and grapes, they don't belong together. It's like a, a picture that doesn't match. You, you have these pictures we show our kids. What doesn't belong here in this picture? The grapes with the thistles. We don't belong in some church as teaching false doctrine, and teaching some other way of salvation, uh, bringing in confusion. My grandmother had a farm. She had 50 head of cattle and 48 Holstein II Brahmas, and I was taught at an early age, she says, uh, now if you see a cherry tree, cherry tree, make sure you throw that on the other side of the fence. If the cows eat these cherries, the, the leaves off of the cherry trees are going to die. And so you had to take, looking for a cherry tree, you had to know what it looked like. It was very serious. I mean, it only takes two pounds of these leaves to kill a, a full-grown cow. I mean, it was very serious nature, and so I'm looking, I said, well, what does a cherry tree look like? I mean, everywhere that I saw a cherry tree, this thing's got to be chopped down. We've got to get rid of it. It can't, can't belong here on the farm. And the only way I knew to find cherry trees is look for the cherries. You know, I'm, even though I grew up in the country, I'm ignorant. I don't know what poison ivy looks like. I don't know what I look for the fruit that's on it. 
And Jesus says here, look for the fruit. Look for the fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. And I believe that's what Jesus is pointing out. A sheep and a wolf don't belong together. They act two, two different ways. They, they might look the same on the outside. They might look white, and they might uh, have look close in size, everything like this, but you know. You see the blood from their mouths. They bite and they devour. And Jesus said in John 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Jesus said, My sheep will follow me. They'll hear my voice. They'll walk, walk in my ways. So we've got to be careful who we're listening to. I hear too many people saying, well, I, I'm, I'm listening. To this. It, it floored me the other day. I heard about Andy Stanley, and you guys probably don't know who he is. But he has gone off the deep end, doing things unimaginable, unimaginable. I, I won't go off on that tangent. So, but I'm just telling you, they're out there. You don't fall into heresy by listening to sound doctrine. Acts 20, 29, For I know that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men rise, speaking perverse things to draw away many disciples after them. There's this uh, report in Christianity Today. Again, it's a, another evangelical magazine, but it, what he says is, is really good. Christianity Today reported a story in 2016 about a Kenyan government's attempt to crack down on false pastors who reported miracles and healings and then abandoning the effort when it was contested by other religious leaders. The deeper problem is not the supply but demand, says Paul Karanja of Christ is the answer ministries. He actually doesn't object to Kenya's false prophets. They were there even in the Old Testament, he said, referring to Jeremiah 29, Jesus and the apostles also prophesied about them in the New Testament, he says. He's more concerned with the people who chase miracle workers. What we are looking for today are quick fixes to our problems, he says. And therefore, the man of God who appears in power to give, as, um, appears to give, empower us to give us quick fixes becomes the most sought after by the masses. This unfortunately veils people to see even outright lies as miracles. In other words, what he's saying is he's, people want quick fixes. So if it's a miracle-looking thing that's drawing in the crowds, they want that. They think it's going to fix their lives, and they're going after it, and it's not what they think it is. You know, there's a reason why Benny Hinn had such a following that he has. Kenneth Copeland and some of these others, my wife had a headache the other day. She says, I wish that were true. I'll let you hit me right now. <laughs> I said, honey, don't say that. <laughs> I'm, saying, I'm sure you can find some olive oil at the grocery store, but we don't want to go there. Uh, but we, almost, we must always be discerning and vigilant about the teaching we receive. You know, they always, uh, they always say that you, you don't have enough. The reason why you're not being healed is you don't have enough faith, and they never define what that faith is. You never get one of them to say, uh, well, how do I get more of this faith? What does this strong faith look like? The Bible talks about strong faith when he talked about Abraham, when he took his son up on the mountain, strong in faith, and offered his son. That's, that's free, by the way. Anyway, I, I got to press on. I got to press on. Luke chapter 3. Let me turn over there. Luke chapter 3, verse 7.
The Bible says, Then said he to the multitude, Jesus to the multitude, that came forth to be baptized. Well, no, he, I guess that's John the Baptist. Then said he to the multitudes that came forth to be baptized of him. Yeah, that's John the Baptist. O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That's why I got this Bible. Does it have the red letter edition on it? I appreciate the red letter editions. It helps me. O generation of vipers, who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say unto you that God is able to, of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And then the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? See, we need wisdom about what road to choose and the people to follow. Again, the disciple is going to just do what the master teaches them. It's like an apprentice trying to learn a trade. At least Brother Troy says, I hope that they'll listen to what I tell them, right? But we need wisdom, the road to choose, the people you follow, but the approach you take. A certain sailor was uh, always first to get up. You never heard a complaint from him. He would always do his watch faithfully. He was skilled at sailing. He did everything just as right. He had knowledge about the weather and how to guide a ship. He knew the stars. He knew everything that you could imagine that a sailor ought to know. He was nice and friendly. All the crew liked him a whole lot. When you looked at him, he seemed like the perfect sailor. And then when you back up and you zoom out of the picture, if you only look at the sailor, you say, wow, that's a good guy. You zoom out and you notice the flag over top of the ship is not a flag of the country they represent, but as a flag of skull and crossbones. And you're like, maybe you shouldn't trust this guy, right? He's not flying under the flag of his, of his country, but uh, as a rebel, a rebel sailor, uh, flying the wrong flag. We live in a world where there's a lot of nice people, a lot of nice, they have nice families, they're nice people, they're very religious, they're involved in their church, and then one day they stand before God and they say, Lord, look at all these things, look at how good we are. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we done cast out devils? Have we done many marvelous works, many mighty works? And Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. You're like, wow. But this guy, look at what he was doing. He did more than the average church member. You know, it's just, shouldn't that person be able to make it in? Again, remember what Jesus said about the Pharisees and the righteous, except for your righteousness, receives the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is the blend-in philosophy. They look, they look right. They look the part, but it, looking is not going to work. Jesus warns about trusting in your own goodness. All teachers, as well as the disciples, must face the test of the Lord's perfect insight. Mere profession before the world would not suffice. A disciple must be a doer of the will of the Heavenly Father, a doer of His will. Again, no, no religion of mere works, through, though mighty and though done in the name of Jesus, is going to be... Just because they are mighty and just because they're done in the name of Jesus doesn't mean they want to get into heaven. It's not good enough to gain entrance into the kingdom at that final day. Not everyone will enter despite what the world was have you to believe. And the biggest danger is men being comfortable in their religion. Men like Judas who goes and they're walking with the disciples and they're, they're doing everything, they're going out soul winning and they're doing everything that they, they look right. But yet Jesus knew what Judas was all about. But yet he's still allowed to walk with them anyway. 
not going to be by your works, but by doing God's will. Jesus said in John 6, 29, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. By the way, the Lord knows him, them, there he is again, mentioning Judas. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, 19, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And then the choice you make, the choice you make. We see these two buildings that these builders are building. They look the same as you put them all together. I mean, they, they look good on the outside or putting up all these beams and they have the ceiling that's going across and maybe they have the, the wood beams over top and they put uh, branches over top of them blending in and to protect them from the rain and so on and so forth, whatever they looked like back in that day. They're building the same, but they're building the wrong way. One of them's building on a rock. The other one's building on shifting sand. And how would you know? You pull up the floorboard. Our first house that we, uh, Sarah and I, after we got married, moved into the trailer park. And uh, Sarah says, I can't, I, the bathroom floor where it was, there was water that went out all over the place. And the, the, the plywood below it was all malleable. She said, I can't, I can't go in there. I can't take a bath in there. I can't take a shower in there. I had to, in the middle of the night, cut holes in that floor and replace all the flooring while the neighbors are knocking on our door. Hey, would you stop all that racket over there? I'm like, I can't leave a hole in the floor. I got to fix it. You know, my wife's scared about squirrels and raccoons and whatever else may be lurking about. I got to fix it. How do you know what you're building upon? You pull up the floor, you see what he's building on the the rock or whether it's the shifting sands that are there. And especially when you see the winds and the waves just pushing against it and one falls, you're like, "Uh uh-oh, I see your problem. You didn't build it to code. (laughs) No. The wise man continues to build his house upon the rock. One gave the illusion of being sturdy. The one, actually, the other one, actually is sturdy. You find out uh, which one it is when the difficulties come. You know, you know what people were made of, how strong their faith is, whatever the case may be, when the difficulties come. I told you about Ken Chapman, and uh, just seeing that man, it seems like the world could be falling apart and just disintegrating into pieces. And he's like, hey, "It's okay. Everything's just fine. I got this." <laughs> he's that kind of guy. You just Nothing bothers him. This guy here, he is, he is a man who is very true, very, very real. He builds his house upon a rock. That's the kind of disciples that we need to be. It's no wonder that when Jesus had finished speaking to the crowds, expressed their wonder at his words, they were literally swept away by what they had heard here. No man spake like this man. He that heareth my words and doeth, he that heareth them and doeth them. It's not just hearing, but it's doing. The foolish man will hear, but the wise man does the will of God. Uh, it's, it's, you hear all kinds of things. I mean, I preach sermons galore. I preach more sermons that I care to remember, you know, and I try to apply them to my life as well. But as many sermons as I've preached, I've, I've known people that come and a whole year they would hear the same sermons, and, but they're not doing it. And it's not what I say that matters, it's what Jesus says that matters. It's, you, know, don't, you don't have to do what I say, you have to do what Jesus says. That's where it's at. 
But you have people like the Pharisees who, who are telling people, I want you to tie the men anise and cumin, and I want you to make broad your phylacteries, make these long prayers and do all these things, and you're going to be okay. Jesus says that's not the case. You've neglected the weightier matters of the law. The sermon that Jesus preached, he pierced the heart, stirred the conscience, and moved the will of his hearers to action. No wonder the world said, never man spake like this man. There's no wonder when he came down from the mountain that the multitudes followed him. So we have this saying all the time, and all of us have this saying, I'm sure. There's a lot of people that talk to talk, but are we walking to walk? Jesus is challenging the disciples. I don't want you to just to talk to talk. I want you to walk the walk. Just let us be people who want to walk the walk this morning. There's a road to choose. Which one do you want to go in? There's people that we, we want to follow. And may it be that we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. There's going to be an entrance that we're going to be confronted with. There's going to be a building that we've got to build our lives upon. And will we build our house upon a rock? May we take Christianity seriously. Any comments, questions? All right, let us conclude with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time together. Uh, Lord, thank you for the challenge to our hearts. And Lord, I know it's been a challenge to mine. And I pray that you will help us to be sincere. Uh, we're not putting on a show. We're not here to impress anybody. Lord, we're here to live for you. And may we give you the glory by the way that we live our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Yes, sir. The, the old rugged cross, we got some um, specials playing this morning, so maybe we could do it next week. Okay. That would be all right next yeah, week? Sure. All right. Oh, I know it. It's a good one. It's a good one. Uh, it's one of the ones after I first got saved, I'd, listen, you know, I'd sing over and over and over again. You been doing all right?